and welcome to Lord of the Rings Minute, the daily podcast where we analyze the movie The Return of the King, one wasted drop of water at a time. I'm Cassandra Fredrickson. I'm Norman Mitchell. <laughs> and joining us for the final time this week is Father David Mowry. Hello. So I'm so thirsty. Uh, uh, <laughs> is there any water left? No, Frodo. No, <laughs> I'm so thirsty. <laughs> so today we're talking about Minute 195 which starts with uh, a close-up on Frodo wheezing before the camera kind of pans out. Um, and it ends with Frodo also wheezing. So yep. It's kind of breathing hard, struggling with that last gulp of water. <laughs> yeah. Just, Just a wheezy minute. One mm-hmm. little wheezy hobbit. Aww. Yep. Door. What, what a poor lad. The poor, poor little Frodo. He hasn't said anything since Hit Me, Sam. No. Right? Well, he hasn't said anything since uh, <laughs> Such a Weight to Carry. Oh, oh, that's right. That's right. Yeah. yeah. Such that's, a Weight. Yeah. Such, such the a last line of the 90s. Oh, come on, you big ago. baby. Yeah. You can do it. Suck it up. It's not like it's a physical me. and and metaphorical like manifestation of evil or anything. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not literally carrying around half of the devil's soul or right something. <laughs> <laughs> look it's just a horcrux around your neck what's the big deal yeah right the horcrux to end all horcruxes big complainer. yeah I yeah that's i like okay i'm gonna go on a frodo rant all right frodo a rant. brief frodo rant like yeah. i go on frodo rants i, I Love feel a good frodo like frodo rant. Clear the floor. a lot of of flack for not being like a traditional fantasy hero, like, yeah. you know, trademark, whatever. Um, Cause we talk a lot about Sam. We talk a lot about Aragorn, but like Frodo is literally care. Like, like we were just joking around. Like Frodo is literally carrying a physical and a metaphysical manifestation of like evil. Right. I mean, Harry, Harry Potter's mm-hmm. soul is literally part of Voldemort's right. soul. And he, yeah. he does, he does big damn hero things. Yeah. But like, and he gets, love- he gets superpowers. He gets no to talk to snakes Frodo. because of it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> But I like Frodo because he's an unconventional hero. And Harry's legitimately a child. Well, uh, oh, Harry. <laughs> oh, Harry Potter. But uh. <laughs> I don't know. I feel like Frodo is um, unfairly maligned nowadays. Hmm. I mean, I like Frodo. He, I, he no, is, I, I like him too. That's I appreciate I like. the unconventional hero compared yeah. to well, yeah. the, the super masculine conventional hero especially of the 90s leading up to the release of this movie. Yeah, oh, yeah, boy, yeah. For sure. And even and even the um the the no less confident and swaggering masculine heroes of the Marvel movies. It's just now they make jokes. Um mm. right. It's no longer the super violence from Rob Liefeld. <laughs> right. Uh but yeah, Cassandra, I agree with you that that Frodo's strength lies in his weakness and in his smallness. And I think that's one of the reasons why the Lord of the Rings has endured as a, a work of fiction, whether as mm-hmm. a novel or as a movie, because one of Tolkien's insights into the structure of the fantasy story was the the need to subvert the hero narrative and the typical quest of going and finding the Holy Grail, for instance, involves 
uh, heroes of pure strength and virtue, uh, where you have uh, you know the Knights of the Round Table going out and those who are weak, who don't exhibit the proper virtues, they fail in the quest, whereas the the noble and pure hero is able to find the grail and, and so on and so forth. Mm-hmm. For Frodo, Frodo is a virtuous hero, but he, he doesn't have strength in the typical sense. Even Aragorn, who in most stories would be the, the main hero, mm-hmm. he doubts himself. He is constantly evaluating his choices and is is down on himself. So like, oh, I fear that all of my choices go amiss. How do we make the best of this really bad situation? So it's not as though even our main kind of stereotypical hero is exhibiting the same swagger and constant like, oh, well, I know what's best. No, everything's going to be great. You know, there's no James Bond equivalent in Lord of the Rings. Mm-hmm. Uh, we have hobbits and... Uh, men who are growing into being the kings they're supposed to be. We have Eowyn and Arwen. We have these people and we have ordinary people who are tasked with doing extraordinary things. But I think Tolkien's genius is saying that it's precisely their ordinariness that it, it determines that they succeed. It's the mm-hmm. hobbits who are the ones who disturb the counsels of the wise and the mighty. And why? Because they're hobbits, man. They, they just do. <laughs> it's not because they have anything special other than this resiliency and an ability to tough it out. Other than that, the hobbits are the last people you'd expect to pull something off like this. Right. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah, I, I, yeah. Fro- Frodo gets maligned because he he is just complaining. And, you know, you, you try carrying the devil's soul for a while. Right, See how right. you like it. <laughs> Right, exactly. I don't know that, like, because we, like, we were, like, joking about it off mic. They're like, oh, Frodo's so whiny. But, like, I think they do a really good job in this this movie adaptation of, like, balancing that. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, it's going to stick out a little more because we're watching it minute by minute like right. like crazy people um like we're not right. we're not so watching if there's one straight minute why of frodo we, complaining why are we doing dialogue? this no one forced right. us to do this we chose no, to do this of our own free will right. what are we Just doing because i love this story so much <laughs> but like so you know much watching it as intended i think it's like fine yeah, yeah. it plays it plays just fine yeah because you never stay with it for too long mm-hmm. like right. to us in our world now a minute is so long yes but in a movie it's not really. Depends on the minute. Yeah. I guess, I guess. some minutes do feel <laughs> a couple like of minutes this week that are kind of long. Yeah. But, you know, we can have fun with it. We mm-hmm. can point out little things about the background. An interesting thing about this, this scene is that this was filmed uh, the same location as the scene from the beginning of Two Towers where Sam says, oh, look what we have. Lembus bread. Oh, and Lembus bread. And more Lembus bread. And more Lembus bread. Yeah. <laughs> This was filmed mm. like 10 feet away from that same place. Oh, wow. So did they do it in like well, They the haven't same made week? it very far, huh? Right? <laughs> right. <laughs> they just, they went back, they, they went back out there, did the makeup for the, for this part of the movie and oh, okay. filmed it like 10 feet away against this other darker piece of rock. That's awesome. Wow. Right. All right. Break for lunch. Now we're going to do a scene for Return of the King. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, the call sheet for those shoots. Oh my gosh. I can't imagine trying to keep all that I straight. I mean, it's like that. Right. I think Barry Osborne scene... must have been pulling all his hair out. <laughs> right. I, there's a there's a shot from behind the scenes when they're filming the Hobbit movies where Orlando Bloom isn't sure. Are we doing two movies or is it three now? Is this the third movie? That's oh the third movie now. No, of course, for Lord of the Rings, it was much more organized. But yes, you know, it it, it, it wouldn't take much 
to create that kind of confusion with the way no. they decided to go about making these movies. So my hat's off to the production crew on this mm-hmm. to keep it all organized. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, we talked about it a while ago. Uh, stuff on the stairs of Kira Thungle, the, the hidden stair, was some of the first stuff that Sam and Frodo, that Elijah and, and Sean filmed together. Wow, Which I didn't know that. Insane. Right, and the fact that their character arcs still come across so like seamlessly in these movies is a real testament to how talented these two guys are. Yeah. That they just, they just got their characters enough that it doesn't feel out of place that that was one of the first things that was filmed. And one of the last pieces of who their characters are Mm -hmm. in this trilogy. Yeah. That's amazing. Wow. That's, I'm very, very impressed. (laughs) The only, the only acting experience I had, I did some theater when I was in high school and, for that, you would always do everything in order because, of course, you're right. a dumb high school kid. So you can't think about things out of order. You need to be <laughs> able to think about the sequence of things going along. Yeah. For actors and films, you never you, you have this whole jumble of scenes that you're jumping right into the middle of, OK, we're going to do this scene, which comes in the third hour of the second movie. And then we're going to jump back and do this scene, which is going to be in the, the, the start of the fourth hour of the third movie. And then we're going to film the beginning of the first movie. And oh, 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 it makes me dizzy. <laughs> yeah. The, yeah. The, the discipline and the, the craftsmanship. Wow. Yeah. That, that was my experience with high school theater, too. Every time that we we went through the the play that we were doing. From top to bottom, beginning to end, every time, every time, yeah, even we the went. rehearsal schedule. Yep. Like Monday was Act One, Scene One, and Scene Two. Then Tuesday was Act One, Scene Three, and Four, and then you would move on to, to Act Two. But you would never do things out of order. Nope, never. Always in order. Well, you can't. You can't edit a play. Process. Like, That's it's, true. It's happening, you know, in front of you. So right. But so oh, yeah. it's still always being rehearsed, just front to back, front to back, front to back. Mm-hmm. Makes more sense for the play, yeah. But at the same time, it's just, it's never pulling out of order to be like, oh, we need to work on that one thing more right now because that's really important. It oh. was always, it was always, no, we're going to do this in order and do it enough. Every time we get to something and you're having struggle, struggling with it, we're going to just keep doing that thing before we move From on. From the top, yeah. Mm-hmm. But yeah, this is... Well, Sauron's keeping an eye on our hobbits here. Yeah, he sure is. We get to see this... I love all these in these these insert shots of the Gondor army too. But yeah, this this eye of Sauron shot is with the spotlight is very uh very bat signal like to me. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> it's the the it's eye the signal, I guess. The anti bat signal. <laughs> and it the way the way it moves is so jerky. Uh, there's there's no sense of a sweep of the eye over Mordor. It's here and then here and then here and then here and then here. It's very jumpy. And I think it, it communicates the paranoia that Sauron yeah. is feeling. Mm. It's, it's also fidgety. much more how an eye moves. Eyes right. Eyes are very jerky in the tiny motions that they make as you look around in your space. It's not very the eyes smooth. are real jerks. You're right. <laughs> yeah. But like your the way your eyes track, they sometimes stutter back and forth on something when you look around a space so that also kind of communicates that to me that this is actually sauron's eye somehow I... it's weird the the whole idea that he is this this flaming eye is taking a very metaphorical description from the book and making it real very literal uh, yeah. <laughs> making it entirely literal 
Yeah. And again, I don't have a problem with that. It's like with the weight of the ring chafing Frodo's neck. You need to be able to provide a visual way of communicating what Tolkien is able to describe just using words on the page. Right. Yeah. In, in the book, it's clear. It feels like an eye that is uh, there's just Sauron's presence, his attention to things and this oppressive sense of you're being watched. So in the movie, I think going with the the literalization of that metaphor and making Sauron an eye gives that same kind of character information without needing to have Frodo stop and talk about it. it feels like there is an eye watching me everywhere I go. Like right. Right. show, don't tell. You ever get the feeling like you're being watched, Sam? <laughs> oh no, Mr. Frodo. Not at all. Unless Gollum's around. <laughs> Because that's that's something that's kind of missing from this part of the story compared to this chapter in the book, that there's no hint that Gollum is still following them. Mm. It's just a total surprise in the movie, the way the movie is structured. Yeah. When Gollum shows back up, whereas in the book, there's a hint that he's still around. Sam thinking he sees a pair of eyes in the darkness and then they Mm -hmm. just he can't find them again. Right. Which is an interesting little change. But I like this insert shot of Aragorn and the rest of the Gondorian soldiers with their very pointy helmets Mm -hmm. uh, approaching the Black Gate and seeing it from that kind of distance without a group of, of soldiers in front of it and without the fanfare of it being opened by the, the trolls. It gives this, it gives it a totally different kind of atmosphere than the first time we saw it. Yeah. It's very desolate. Yeah. yeah. Well, yeah, we're, we're here in the, the battle planes, the wastes before the black gate. I'm just, I'm looking at this shot of the first shot we have of the army marching and you can see the hierarchy of the armies because you've got the Gondor soldiers up front and then behind them come the Rohirrim. Yeah. You can, you can no, the Gondorians go first. Like, That's right. And the Rohirrim are like, you want to die first? You go right ahead. Go right up there, buddy. Get all the valor you want. Absolutely. Why, are, we'll why aren't the horses Just like front. last time. <laughs> Yeah, that doesn't make any sense. Why the, isn't the, the cavalry mounted cavalry should be first? <laughs> Aragorn oh, is perhaps that. a yeah, poor strategist. Can... And Gandalf is just letting oh. him lead. You do what you want, man. Well, it's, it's like, you know, it's you're putting the leader of your D&D adventurer party in charge of an army. Like, well, I've had to deal with at most nine people and just kind of fighting in limited maps. Now, all of a sudden, I have to deal with army tactics. Like, oh, well, right? the guy with the sword should go in front, right? Right, yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. And Amor is kind of up front with, with Mary riding with him, I think. Um, I don't see him. Because Mary and Pippin are both here in the yeah, in the movie. Gandalf has Pippin. But they're not both here in the book. Mm-hmm. Only Pippin is here in the book because Mary is still in the Houses of Elon. Right. Because he stabbed the Witch King. <laughs> yes. He, That's going to leave a mark. And he should also be suffering similar yeah, why? healing time as That's Eowyn. Weird. Yeah, the I've Black Breath. Thought. Like, that's a thing that Mary experiences in the book. There's a really, like, really touching scene between Mary and Aragorn in the book at the Houses of Healing, where Aragorn, where Mary just kind of perks up when Aragorn says, asks him if there's anything I can get you. And Mary's just like, well, on the battlefield, I seem to have lost my pipe weed. Could you go get me some? And Aragorn's just like, absolutely not. <laughs> like, Mary is instantly in better spirits. It's just like, could you go get me some... Some some pipe weed, buddy. Hey, King, could you fetch me my pipe? <laughs> and Aragorn's oh, yeah, just like, no, absolutely it was, yeah, not. I, I lost. He gives, <laughs> he gives this history yeah. of what tobacco or pipe weed is in the south of Gondor and how it's seen as just a nuisance plant. Just this this accounting of the history of it in the south. And then just says, so you won't find any here. <laughs> <laughs> 
Well, yeah, because Mary, I remember that now. Mary asks for his pack because it had pipe weed in it. And then Aragorn goes on this whole passive aggressive tirade because the 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 head of the House of Healing was like, oh, you want King's Well, like, well, well, how about you want to get some real medicine, Aragorn? Oh my gosh, you don't know anything. So Aragorn is able to get back at him. And then when he leaves, uh, Mary says, oh gosh, did I make him mad? And Pim says, no, you don't. Your pack's right there. <laughs> it's so funny. It's pa- your pack was there the whole time. Oh yeah, it's great. I mean, because it, it shows the friendship between these these people who have gone through hell and high water and how much Aragorn really does get the hobbits. He knows how to be hobbit like with them. Mm-hmm. Where he, right. he talks lightly uh with them in the midst of something serious. And all Mary wants the moment he starts to feel better is a smoke. That's it. <laughs> yeah. That's hobbit's the only hobbit, thing man. he wants in the world. <laughs> yeah. It's like, I'm feeling yeah. good enough to sit up in bed. Oh, can I have a pipe, please? <laughs> Time to have a pipe. Mary, it's written just... by an Englishman. Yes. Imagine that. Uh, yeah. It's just it's just such a perfect little hobbity thing. It's so good. I, I like I like it better the way it, it plays out in the book because it balances Mary's time in the battlefield with Pippin's time in the battlefield. And so both yeah. of them have this chance because Pippin is in the Citadel for the whole Battle of Pelennor Fields. And uh, we we get uh, a nice balance between the two characters that way, and which is how they've been used in the narrative up until this point, where they have mirroring experiences. But we be, through their eyes, we get to see the difference between the leadership of Theoden and the leadership of Denethor. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that mirroring happens again. Here we get to see, okay, what does it look like when... Aragorn is leading a uh, an invasion, and he's on the uh, he's defending Gondor. And how does it look when he is attacking the enemy position? Yeah, yeah, because the because some of the beginning context of that scene with Mary too is him thinking about having a smoke and remembering that Theoden's last word to him last words to him were to to remember him every time he had a smoke and he's like i don't know if i'll ever smoke again it'll just make me sad and aragorn's just like well you shouldn't be you should smoke and remember him like he asked you to and mary's like sure Mm -hmm. can you find my pipe weed for me yeah (laughs) it's just it's a great little chain Mm -hmm. but yeah the the way that we see see rohan and and gondor is completely informed by pippin and mary's perspective Mm -hmm. And Denethor is just so crazy that anyone's perspective would tell us so. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. There's there's no bias there. We're we're getting a pretty accurate depiction of Denethor. Just mm-hmm. just everyone in in the Citadel just leaning over over to to the guy next to them every so often. Just are we are we sure we should be Listening following to his orders? Yeah. Is, is he okay? <laughs> Sam's kind of off since... his half his knocker. Ever since that horn washed up and Faramir brought it to him, he he hasn't been all right. <laughs> I feel like it's been like way before then. Yeah, yeah but <laughs> in the in the book, it's also made explicit that the the horn of Gondor only washed up to Denethor two weeks before Pippin and Gandalf arrived. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So it has not been long. No. Yeah. Yeah. We uh. Then we leave this scene. We get Aragorn's oh crap face. Yes. Well, no, first we get Aragorn's oh crap face. You can see his eyes like, oh no, I have bitten off more than I can chew. Because we get this this huge establishing shot of the teeth of Mordor. Oh man, the Black Gate is 
not going to be easy. No. And I wonder how much embellishment Mordor has made. Because, of course, these towers were originally built by Gondor to keep watch over Mordor. And they look really evil. <laughs> they look They've really nasty. They've got all this metal so to them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I can't help but think that uh, you know, some orc architect was commissioned uh, to you know dress him up a little bit uh, get him in line with the brand (laughs) i'm really mad at myself i didn't think of that i'm so mad right now i'm so angry that's so good oh man yes it looks like the little um like the the little crowns on the tower are like an addition to like the stonework yeah a little bit because they look like Sauron's helmet don't they yeah yeah kind of look like chess pieces to me they're like rooks on the edge of this this Mm -hmm. wall they do look like castles like little tiny baradours baby's first baradour (laughs) and then we we get to this thirsty frodo struggling with this empty (laughs) bottle of this this empty water skin this drives me crazy I know I was like in defense of Frodo, but like Frodo, come on. <laughs> but let us now pivot. Yes. You can't drink, you helpless little baby. <laughs> Cry some more. Uh, he just he, he he wastes. He wastes more water than he gets in his mouth. <laughs> I'm so angry about him. He's just so weak. He just I, can't. I grew up in Southern California. You don't waste water. <laughs> like <laughs> Yeah, no. That's not a primary concern of mine. Where, no, where I we know. Now. <laughs> That's in it's, my blood. <laughs> there's so much water everywhere. Mm. Yeah. You're in a desert, Frodo. Please don't do that. <laughs> and that, that that's a movie trope, isn't it? Where someone's taking the last mouthful of water and so much just splashes all over their chin. No, no, no. Yeah. Right. You need that You're water. It's just Frodo being like, look, this is my impression of Denethor, and just, uh, just more, more. <laughs> hey, look, who am I? Who am I? Guess who am I? Who am I? Uh, 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 uh. Oh, you're Denethor, Mr. Frodo. Oh, that's right. Oh, look at me. Splash, 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 splash. <laughs> and then Sam is just like, oh, that was the last of the water. He's like laughing, and then there's oh, just a it, beat, and he just stops. Yeah. <laughs> that was the last of the water. That was the last of the water, Mr. Frodo. It was a really good joke, though. Very funny. <laughs> really lifted my spirits. Oh, that's some black humor there. Oh no! Well, they are at the black game. Mm, that's true. <laughs> but yeah, Frodo just no, looks so it. out of it. Because mm-hmm. the last time, you know, I I can't remember if the movie goes to the trouble of showing Sam filling the water bottle after they leave Kirith Ungol. Because I don't, Tolkien I don't, it doesn't, is, I don't think it does. Yeah, Tolkien is very careful to show his work and to show that his heroes are not just machines that are going without food and water for weeks and weeks. He's always careful to talk yeah. about how worried they are about food and water and how even within Mordor, Sam is able to find this little tiny trickle of water that he's able to to fill the water bottle with. But that's mm-hmm. near the borders of the, of the mountains, and in the yeah. uh, now we're we're days past that at this point. Yep. So even just drinking like a cup of water a day, they're out. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They're done. They got nothing well, good left. Thing it's nice it's only going to get hotter. Going. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Uh oh. <laughs> they're heading into the mouth of fire. 
the cracks of doom. Yes. It's uh the the proper noun now that it's still in my brain after reading the third ch- the the Mount Doom chapters the Samoth Nar the Chamber of Fire. <laughs> We're getting ahead of ourselves though. That's like right. That's like three weeks away. Right. Oh, but yeah. they're, they're going to be on that three league road soon. Yeah. <laughs> Thanks. Tolkien. I don't know. I like. Um, I feel like. I feel like this week um, and like their trek towards the mountain is really good at establishing some of that like bleak um, imagery that is in the book. Yeah. And it, it's it's necessary for the, the moment at the end of next week or two weeks from now to feel triumphant. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's got to feel earned. You don't want it to feel like you don't want to feel like it's a hop, skip and a jump to right. the mountain. So you want uh, you need these scenes in order to establish the the length of the journey and the difficulty of it. Now, maybe mm-hmm. you could have established that through a montage or something where you're, you're seeing little scenes like this interspersed and you have quicker edits between them, you know, throwing the chainmail off the chasm, emptying the water bottle, but then we wouldn't get the star of hope and I would be sad. So I'm glad that we have a meditation on the difficulty of Mordor. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. And how? Um, did we have anything else we wanted to talk about this week? I feel like this one's also a little light. There's a whole lot of light minutes this week. <laughs> we have we have entertained ourselves. Yes, I've been doing what I can. <laughs> no, you're like an awesome guest. Yeah, I'm kind of sad. Great. I'm sad we haven't had you on before. <laughs> yeah. Well, plenty of movie left. No, to, I'm kidding. No, getting me to think about other stuff in the in the movie in regards to like specifically Christian imagery, including Frodo's yeah. wound from the Witch King. Mm. Yeah. Well, it, on on that theme and and the the scars that this is going to leave from the the journey that that Frodo has been on, I, I said earlier that I think there's a really important theme that Tolkien weaves into the overall narrative of the story that I think comes out of his Christian imagination and requires the scouring of the Shire in order for the story to make oh, sense. Yes. So um, in this, you know, the, the whole of the Lord of the Rings, the whole story is about a journey it is about going from the Shire to the cracks of doom and all the merry mishaps that occur along the way. The idea of journey in the Christian imagination is a really important one. Before Christians were called Christians, uh, they called themselves followers of the way. And there has always been in the Christian imagination the sense of going from one place to the next, of being on the way with Jesus. And that manifests itself in Christian culture through the pilgrimage a desire to leave where I live and where I, I have my daily life and go to some place where I'm going to experience something. And in the Christian imagination, it's a pilgrimage to the site of a saint's tomb, uh, perhaps a pilgrimage to Jerusalem, to the holy city where Jesus himself walked, taught, lived, and died and rose again from the dead. The point of that journey, however, is not to finish in that place. I don't go to the saint's tomb and then live there. I don't go to Jerusalem and then live there. A -hmm. pilgrimage involves going to a place to experience a change and to experience something profound, but a pilgrimage is just as much about what happens when you get home. For a pilgrimage is about uh, 
uh, about experiencing something in that place that I then I bring that change back with me. I go back to my daily life a different person because I have walked the streets of Jerusalem, because I have prayed at the tomb of St. James, because I have experienced the place where Mary appeared to St. Bernadette in Lourdes or, or any number of those other holy sites. Because I experienced that, I then bring back something different. I am no longer the person I once was, and now I change the way I live in this place that was uh, so comfortable and familiar to me. In The Lord of the Rings, we have a kind of pilgrimage. Now, it's it's not a nice pilgrimage. It's a very right. difficult pilgrimage. But Frodo and Sam are leaving behind the place they're comfortable with, and they are going to experience something. They are, they are going to, to get rid of something, to relieve themselves of the burden of the, 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 the ring, the burden of sin that has been passed down through the ages. And in order for the Lord of the Rings to make sense, you know, the, we have to have the return to the Shire to show how the hobbits have changed, how their experience has made them grow up and put them in the place where they are supposed to be. They experience this change for a reason. It is not for them. Just like we were talking about the hope given by the star, Sam's hope is not for Sam. Sam's hope is for Frodo. The change the hobbits go through is not for them, it is for the Shire, because ultimately they go through everything, at least in Tolkien's vision. They go through this pilgrimage in order to be who they need to be for the Shire. They And, and Gandalf says as much when he drops them off and, and parts ways with them before they go back to the Shire. All of this was to get you ready for what's to come in order to defend their homeland and to set things right. Because had they not gone through that journey, they would have not stood a chance. Um, and the scouring of the Shire brings the, the fullness of the pilgrimage home, literally. And yes, you can't go home again, in part because home isn't what it was when you left it, but also because you aren't who you were when you left it. Mm -hmm. And without a doubt, Sam and Mary and Pippin are better for having gone through this pilgrimage. Frodo is not. Frodo has been wounded by knife and by sting. And he has had, by the end of this, uh, you know, he's down a finger and is severely wounded from the burden of carrying the sin away. So he needs something even more home-like than the Shire. He needs the, the lands of the blessed. He needs to go to Valinor in order to find some peace and contentment. But before he goes there, he is still there to help the Shire because what he has gone through is not for him, it's for others. And if you drop that from the narrative, the best you can do is what this movie gives us is that awkward scene where the four of them are just sitting at their favorite pub and they're all like, yeah, well, we've, we've seen some stuff, haven't we? And that's about <laughs> it. That's about all we get for their reintegration into life in the Shire. And yeah. the, the pilgrimage theme of being changed in that experience and bringing that back home is so important. I agree. Read the, the, books. the scouring you of the Shire the is the yeah. The the scouring of the Shire is the thing uh, more than Tom Bombadil, though I ranted about that for a Forever. while uh, <laughs> in, in our coverage of fellowship. Um, oh, I could hear the long suffering tone in Sandra's <laughs> voice. I'm so sorry. Oh no, I love Tom Bombadil. Oh, I love that <laughs> I, long, long, long rant. Well, blue short, is jacket think, and his boots are yellow. Right. Yeah. <laughs> long, long, long rant. Short. I think that Tom Bombadil is important. Uh, theme-wise and narratively in the story of Lord of the Rings because it represents the change from 
the like childlike whimsy of the hobbit into what lord of the rings becomes it's that last whimsical thing on the edge of the shire before we leave out into the wider world mm. uh but when it comes to the scouring of the shire i agree with you because all, all we get is that kind of awkward look at the at the pub where they all kind of realize how different they are compared to the people they're now living with and also mm-hmm. i think it exists in the movie in the way that sean astin chooses to deliver the last line where he seems just kind of like he's happy to be home but he's wistful for what he left behind in the gray havens with frodo he says well i'm back mm-hmm. like there's a i think there's a there's a different kind of weight there but that that's all there is to like communicate their changing uh they're they're changing as people we don't see it it's just implied yeah mm-hmm. which i think is a shame but the scouring of the shower would have easily added another 40 minutes to the movie yeah this movie is already so long <laughs> You would have had to split Return of the King into two movies if you wanted to do the Scouring of the Shire. Fair enough. Yeah, I mean, adaptation being what it is, I get it. Mm-hmm. Um, but I still miss it. I still want it. Oh, and boy. I, if, if they had filmed it and they stuck it on the extended, I would just have been happy. <laughs> because they, they oh, yeah. imply that it's something that could happen a little bit in the Mirror of Galadriel in the movie. Yeah. But then they reuse yeah. that same footage to show the burning of the Westfold. Some of it. That's true. Some of it is Shire stuff on fire and some of it is stuff on fire from the burning of the Westfold in two towers. Oh, so cheeky. Yeah. <laughs> so it's, it's both a hint at what could be in the Shire. And also if you're paying attention, it's like little hints at stuff that's going to happen in the story later as it is. Yeah. Which is kind of cool. There's a, there's a lot going on there. But it makes that vision of Sam's and the Mirror of Galadriel never come to pass in the movie. Whereas the the thing about the Mirror of Galadriel is that it does show things that are going to happen. But you may just be interpreting Always in motion wrong. is the future. It shows you a slice of it. You just might not interpret it correctly, which is also the same thing that happens to Denethor in the Palantir. Yeah. Seeing the Black Shadows. Tell me, oh spirit, are these things that will be or could possibly be? Or could be only. <laughs> just... <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. You know, some somewhere the timelines diverged. Uh, somewhere Spock came back with uh, black hole creation technology, <laughs> and so that split the timeline. And the scouring of the Shire just never happened. Instead, Saruman just fell on a spike. Yep. Nope. Hundred <laughs> percent. Never became Sharky. Sharky. Yep. <laughs> Which we talked about previously is probably just a corruption of the dwarven name for wizard. Yeah, that's uh, true. Which is just kind of funny to me. <sighs> I think it's an unfortunate name. Sharky? Yeah. Why? It's silly. I guess. You can't yeah. take him seriously. But it's just... Name like Sharky? It's the hobbits calling him Sharky because possibly a dwarf came through and referred to him by the dwarven name for word for wizard. Mm. And the hobbits, because they don't speak dwarven, started calling him Sharky instead. <laughs> Which is like a thing that makes sense to me and also like a linguistic thread that Tolkien totally intended. He, yes, he totally would have. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's funny that there are names that sound silly to you, Cassandra, because you've just spent so much time with Bilbo and Frodo and Mary. Oh, and I mean, Pippin like they're all and... very silly. <laughs> yes. Well, the thing that's even uh, that I love, uh, you look in the appendices of the book and Tolkien admits like, well, in in the original Red Book of, of the, the West Marches, actually, these names would have been Bilba and Fro- Froda. And mm-hmm. I decided to change those because of the way we understand masculine and feminine endings. <laughs> Yeah, but every so often I remind myself, like his actual name is Bilba Baggins. Oh my gosh! Yeah, and just stuff like that. This is 
this is me translating the text of the Book of the West Marches into English. Yeah. Hmm. What a giant nerd. Yes, completely. <laughs> a thousand, a thousand and ten percent. We love him, though. Yes. I yeah. love that guy. <laughs> World needs more nerds. Agreed. Yeah. Maybe that's why we're doing this podcast. Probably. <laughs> Just because we're nerds. Yeah. Sure. Let's go with that. <laughs> we're nerds and we want to share this nerdy love of this thing. I mean, yeah. That's... Yeah. That's what nerds do. Look at this thing that I like. Does someone else like this? We cry into the void. Let's hyperanalyze this and, thing that we like until we else, don't like it anymore. So, someone else shouts back, yes, I also love this thing. <laughs> and then we become friends. Uh, well, thank you very much for joining us this week. Um, thank you so much for having me. It was a yeah. delight. Well, thank you. You were an awesome guest. Yeah. This is a good week. Yeah, it um, really was. It was a good time. But we are, uh, just to remind everybody, uh, not that you need reminding because you've been listening to this for over 500 episodes, but we're from the website toolinggenre.com. Um, and for all of your Movies by Minutes related needs, you can go to moviesbyminutes.com, which is a, uh, not a catalog. What's the? Uh, an index. Pe- index. <laughs> it was like catalog. A yeah. <laughs> a veritable cornucopia. Yeah. <laughs> Of many, many, many content, other movies, content everywhere. Movies by minutes podcasts for your uh, listening pleasure, um, and we will be back on Monday with more Return of the King. I hope everyone has a great weekend, a better weekend than Frodo and Sam are yes, about to have. Absolutely. Where are we leaving them? Yeah. Don't waste your water. Stay hydrated. Yes, this is <laughs> this is a threat. Stay hydrated. <laughs> Bye. Or else. Bye. <laughs>